Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Morning. My name is John, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Uh, completely palace over my disease, and I've proven that many times over to myself. So I know I need to be in the fellowship and in these rooms, and I'll be your leader of this meeting. And the uh, topic of this morning's meeting is creating positive thoughts. Uh, first, join me in a moment of silence, and followed up by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Okay. Just want to remind everyone that this is going to be a taped meeting in the spirit of the 12th step. A uh, tape recorder cannot be turned off. If you do not wish to be taped, we suggest that you choose another meeting in which to share or feel free to simply listen at this meeting. Uh, this time I want to introduce uh, our speaker for today, uh, who will share his experience, strength, and hope for approximately 10 minutes on the topic for today. Um, I want to say that uh, even though I only met him uh, Friday night, uh, I know that he's very much committed to the program and to service because he was crazy enough to want to volunteer for registration committee for Saturday morning. So uh, without further ado, uh, i introduce Mike S. Um, take it away. Hi, I'm Mike from San Diego, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. I am truly grateful for this program. God has helped me, help me, help me. Sometimes I don't understand why. When I think of that question, why, why he helps me, I, it goes back to when I was first in this program a little over eight years ago. Uh, October 21st, 1999 is my sobriety date. That's the day I entered this program. And I'm truly grateful for my sobriety and serenity in this program. My therapist told me in one of our couple sessions that I was not allowed to ask my wife why questions, and she wasn't allowed to ask me why questions. I had to rephrase it. So I turned around and asked, what, does, what has God done for me, and how can I thank him for doing it? Uh, because he's truly blessed me. One of, one of the things that I shared uh, yesterday, I was going to talk a little bit about what I do, a little bit more about what I do to create positive thoughts in my life, not only with me, but my uh, friends in the fellowship, my co-workers, and especially my wife, who, when I gave her a letter telling her about my addiction, I was in big fear, I didn't want to tell her, but I needed to because... It was the night before I was going to visit with our therapist, and I'd been meeting with him for several times, but he would not see me unless I brought her with me. And uh, when I gave her that letter, 
uh, I had my grandson there. And that was one of my MOs is uh, soften the blow. So she read my uh, letter, which took me about f- at least 40 tries to write it because I was in so, fear, so much fear of telling her what was going on. And she immediately, well, not immediately, but she said, what can I do to help you? I'm going to stick by you. We're going to work this out. And uh, and I've been truly grateful for that because it's really been a mantra of our, our coupleship. In the big book, uh, on page 25, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in, in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We had found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. Uh, anybody that's been in the program less than a year, how many? Thank you for being here. You make me want to come back. Yeah. Truly, the variety is not as important as walking through the doors for me, because you are looking for something. You're looking for a solution. There are many solutions. We all have our own. But the 12 and 12, the 12 and 12, the A book, the white book, are three of the books that I review constantly. And those are the only books that I looked at or read other than one other book that my therapist asked me to read the first two years of my program. Uh, in fact, my first sponsor, which I reluctantly got, uh, other than myself, because I thought I could do this in nine months, told me to use just these three books. Don't use any workbooks, but I've used a workbook since. Further in this, on page 25, if you are as, seri- if you are as seriously sexaholic as we were, We believe that there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our own intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. When I get up in the morning, I always kneel and pray. First thing I do. Uh, and then I, uh, before I leave for work, I, my wife and I kneel down and pray together. And we do that at least twice a day, and we've been doing that since almost ever, almost the day we got in this program, where I got an essay and her and Essen on. And one of the things I found a great solution for me, which I wanted to ask myself, well, my religion taught me to believe in God, good principles. I had a great upbringing, believed in the church when I was a youth. Uh, I served a mission for our church for two years. And I thought everything was great until 
about 15 years ago when I found that uh, I just wasn't that interested in religion anymore. But in this program, step three has taught me, believe in God, my God. Not my friend's God, not my wife's God, not my church's God, but my God. God of my understanding is my personal relationship with Him, just like you have a relationship with with one another, with your wife, with your children. It's your relationship. It's not your wife's relationship with your children or your co-workers. And I've, I've kind of separated that. And so praying and praying with my wife daily is one of the solutions I use. Individual praying at least twice a day where I get on my knees and thank my God for what he's given me and my, the opportunities that will come to me this day. Uh, and, and I cannot tell you how good that feels when I get off my knees. I didn't always do that. Uh, in the 12 and 12, when I'm working with sponsees, we read this. The SA 12 Steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which is, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to lust and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. What a great statement that uh, has been in the program for many, many years. Another solution I use is uh, when I get home from work, this is in relationship to my wife. I'm going to talk about that for just a few minutes. I never thought I could love a woman like I did. I thought I loved her deeply, and I did love her deeply when I married her 35 years ago. And, well, I better say, we just celebrated our one-year anniversary 35 times on December 30th. When I married her, I didn't think... There was anyone else, and in fact, I knew it. That was who I wanted to marry from the first time I met her. But through this program, I cherish, she's my angel, I love her dearly. And I never thought I'd be so emotionally attached to a woman as I am her. I want to be with her. I want to go home at night. I want to be with her. I want to share my life with her. When I get home at night, if I get home first, it's my, it's her responsibility to find me when she gets home. Wherever I'm at in the house or in the yard. Same with me. If she's home first, I find her. We have this purple love, we have this purple love seat that is a God thing how we got it because we wanted to buy the couch and, and set love seat with it. But when we went, when we saw it, we didn't buy it. We went back to get it and it wasn't there. And so, we went to another discount store and there was a love seat there, but they didn't have the couch, but we bought the love seat. And that's seven years ago. We sit on that love seat and we look at each other, hold each other's hands and share about our day. We take five or ten minutes, usually. I tell her my feelings. She tells me her feelings, good and bad. And one of the things my wife said to me, and if she had said this to me before I got in recovery... I would have just walked out and not talked to her. Well, Mike, what happened positive this day? Is there anything your kids at school did that was positive? My mantra is to find negative things. She told me that five years ago. 
And so now I consciously look at things that are positive just because of a simple statement like that. And, and I tell her my feelings. And me not wanting to tell her anything about what's going on with me, I have told her many times when we're sitting down talking, Sue, today I had this lust hit and I describe it to her. Guess what she says to me? Thank you for telling me that. What can I do to help you get, get past that? Another two positive statements. Thank you for sharing. What can I do to help? I do that with sponsees. I do that with people in the program. I can give them all the ideas, all the suggestions in the world, which I do. And I've had sponsees that have fired me. And I've had sponsees that walk away from me because I've confronted them on some of their issues. Recently, I had a sponsee who I did that with. Didn't call me for a week, but then called me back and confessed about what he had been doing, which is exactly what I'd confronted him about. But he denied it. Another thing I do with my wife is have this little heart here. I keep it with me, and then I'll give it to her maybe every two or three days, she'll give it back to me. And what that means is that it's a reminder. I'll put my hand in my pocket and I'll pull it out or hold on to it. Reminds me of how much I care about her, how much I love her, and how much she is in my life. Just just a little reminder. Uh, we used to write notes back and forth. In fact, my wife, uh, just before Christmas, said, Honey, you don't write me those notes like you used to. It's simple things. I used to put things on the mirror. Write things, little notes, put them on, post-it notes, put them on the mirror, cards. doesn't make any difference what it is. Just a reminder how much she is in my life. Another thing we do, which is one of the greatest things that wants me to go home, is if we have an issue about what is going on, like our finances. I'm going to talk about finances just for a second because... My wife and I, that was one of our biggest problems because I was obsessed about controlling her, controlling what what happened. Now, we get together twice a month and talk about finances. And we set up a date and a time and when we're going to do it. Whereas before, when we ever had a tenuous issue like finances, I'd just say, honey, I, you can't do this, you can't do that. We can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do this. I was worried that she would come to me any time of the day and talk to me. So that's so my work schedule became, instead of getting home at 6 or 7, I'd make sure she was in bed or late enough where we wouldn't talk. So now, whenever she wants to talk to me about finances or I want to talk to her about that or about the kids or about a, a problem other than a 911 call, I have to set an appointment with her. If I'm angry with her for something she did, I have to... Set a date, a time, and a place, and how long we're going to talk. And you know, the longest we've really talked about one of these topics is 30 minutes since we started this almost seven years ago. 
We get more done in 15 minutes than we used to do in four hours arguing or walking away or being obsessed about it. That's just one of the simple kits of this of this uh, program that, is, that God has given me. And the other thing that we do is, and I hated this at first, I do not like cell phones. My wife knows when I'm going to be home. If I'm going to be late, really, you know, a half hour or so late, I call her and tell her what's going on. And I always tell her what I'm doing that week. We sit down on Sundays and we go over our schedule for the week. That's another great thing. That's a positive solution for my sobriety and my serenity. To know what she's going to be doing that week and what I'm going to be doing. And and emotionally it really helps me more than I thought it would. And also bringing God into our life and the solution. And uh, we sponsor and we work with a lot of couples in our couples program because we know that we have to do that to keep our relationship going. Cling to the thought that in God's hands the dark past is the greatest possession you have. The key to life and happiness for others. What if, what if you can't avert death and misery for them? Uh, another thing, this is just some readings out of the big book. It's on page 124. In the promises it tells us what we can do. What can happen to us? I will be amazed before I'm halfway through. You know, this program has been amazing to me. I have friends in the program that give me things. When I go to meetings, like you people here, you have something to offer, something to give to me. For me to take what you say, there's going to be, it might be one word, one statement, one sentence, one experience that's going to help me. Yesterday in, in, uh, in this meeting, a gentleman came up here and shared and it's still ringing in my mind the one word he said, aware. Aware. I use the word focus. I need to focus on what's in front of me and what's happening that day. When I, when I sit down each day and take an inventory of what I've done that day, I thank God for my sobriety, my serenity, for what He's helped me. Because... I cannot believe how much God has helped me. How much the steps helped me. Another positive way to, for solutions for my program is the 12 steps. Uh, just recently I started doing the steps again. I've been wanting to do the steps with the sponsor thoroughly again. And I started writing thoughts about the first step. And we met a couple times, and we were talking, and he said, this is, my, this is your assignment. I want you to do step 12. What are you doing for step 12? So we talked about it. And he says, Mike, I want you to do step 12 for this next week every day. I want you to do something different every day. Call me. Well, as soon as he got through, I asked him, 
well, what's the purpose of me doing step 12? Don't you want me to go through 1 first through 12? And he said, ah, you've already done that several times. So let's do it, let's do it this other way. And you know, I started thinking, I got home after I asked him that question, I was thinking, oh, Mike, you questioned your, your sponsor again of why he's doing this. So I called him and apologized for that. And he says, that's nah, okay. Just do it. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I'll, I'll do that. Now, I am going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. I have certainly enjoyed a new freedom and new happiness through this program. If there's anything that for the newcomers and also you people that are here, service work, any type of service work, has been one of the positive things in my in the solution of my program. I didn't want to be do any service work at all. My service position, my first one was a treasure because the guy that was doing it was been doing it for several years. In fact, he had three or four positions because nobody wanted to do it. Ah, it can't be that hard. Once a week, come to a meeting. Then he asked me to be on the intergroup, be the intergroup rep for that Friday night. That was six and a half years ago, and I've been on the intergroup ever since. And next March will be the, this March will be the first time that I'm not an officer in our intergroup because I want to, I've done every position in the intergroup and I just don't want to hog the, because of my international commitment with the, with the SA. Service has saved my life because I've made a commitment to go to meetings by being either the secretary, the tape, literature, whatever it is. Another positive way to stay sober is make a commitment because then sometimes there was, there was times that I didn't want to go to a meeting. But I knew that I, I had a commitment, either I had the, the phone list, I was a secretary, or I had the tapes I had to take to the meeting, or the literature. That was the push I needed. And there are blessings that come from that. And one of them was helping me insist on enjoying life, which I do. I, I never thought that I would feel as good as I have for the last eight years. And I owe it to you people to God, and to this program. Because you have shown the willingness, and you are showing the willingness to step forward to become happy, joyous, and free. Uh, last thing, I will suddenly realize that God is doing for me what I could not do for myself. Letting go and letting God be in my life daily is one of the greatest things that we can do as, as SA members, is letting go and letting God decide and help us to find the solution to our really difficult disease, which each one of us has a different one, but it's all the same. It's where inside we want to stand up. And if we can insist on standing up on the inside... Like when we walk out of this door, we're going to walk out of the door, but we got to stand up. Do the same thing with your commitment to the program. Are we going to be perfect every day? If you are, you won't be on this earth, I'll tell you that right now. It's guaranteed. <laughs>
but really share with who you who you are with your spouse or your sponsor and be completely honest and then have the courage have the courage to be honest with yourself again i'm so grateful for this program because it has given me more joy more happiness than i've had in my entire life uh, with that i'm through Thank you, Mike, for your shares. Um, I know for me, I, I personally got a lot out of it, a lot of things I will take home with me. Uh, okay, we're now going to open the floor up for sharing. Uh, because our common welfare comes first, uh, we have some guidelines for sharing during the meeting. Uh, if you wish to speak, just wait until I recognize you. Uh, we're going to keep the sharing to two or three minutes. Uh, since this is a tape meeting, we'll have you come up here and sit chair with the microphone. And make sure that you speak clearly, which is something that I need these to work on myself. Chairs, these other two chairs are for you to get plenty of points. You just come up there and wait, and then right. you'll be ready to go. Okay. Uh, our purpose in sharing is to discuss our experience, strength, and hope in recovery. We focus on the SA 12-step approach to recovery. We don't discuss any other 12-step programs, philosophies, therapies, or occupations. We avoid mentioning specific titles or authors of publications other than SA or, or AA conference-approved literature. We also avoid using abusive language and sexually explicit descriptions. Our emphasis here is on recovery, the solution, using the steps in our daily lives. Okay, so the floor is now open for sharing. Who would like to come up? My name is Doug, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, when I came in here yesterday uh, to this convention, I didn't know what I was. Um, I had not given myself a a, a label. Um, but as I, this week is my first week attending a SA meeting. On Monday, it was my first day I walked into a meeting in New York. Um, I'm, um, I'm scared. I'm, um, Uh, people are saying live one day at a time and I don't know how to do that. Um, you know, I could, looking back in my past, um, and seeing the, the constant knock on my heart to, um, to do something about what um, I was doing and that um, it was not the way that I was designed to function. Uh, someone said yesterday in a meeting that um, if you think you have not hit rock bottom yet, you need to bring your bottom up. And that has helped me a lot to, because I've lost my wife, and I've lost my business, lost my um and I lost a lot, and um, so I guess I need to bring my bottom up, and um, that's why I'm here. So I'm asking you guys to pray for me, um, that I will learn to embrace a simple program and 
live one day at a time and um so I can have some stories to share later on down the road. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thanks for sharing. Hi everybody, my name is Anders, I'm a sexaholic. It's a gift to be able to say that. I feel blessed to be able to be in this room with you all. Um, I just am inspired by the example of positive storytelling. I had someone teach me to, to tell positive stories. She said, we frame our existence in the stories we tell, so why not start telling useful stories instead of crippling stories? Um, so I want to tell a short story of my life this weekend. Um, God wanted me to be here because he loves me. And I don't have a car, so he provided people to give me a ride to this convention. He provided people for, to, to put a uh, place for me to stay uh, on their floor. <coughs> Um, so for free. And also a friend of mine who was here, his wife couldn't come. So he gave me her ticket and her meal ticket. I didn't have to pay for the convention at all. I see, I, I didn't know, I didn't know this was, this weekend was a miracle from God until I said it was and just sat here and started telling you. I didn't know any, I didn't put these together until this moment. Um, I used to look at, um, my biggest complaint, um, reason for self-pity is, is usually anxiety of a lot of anxiety and some negative thinking, um, and a lot of fear, especially in my relationship with men. I looked around my life a little while ago and I said, I have a therapist who's helping me deal with these issues in my relationship with him. And as I talk with him, I have a priest who's encouraging me in the same way. Be honest about how you're really feeling. My sponsor, I'm scared of my sponsor. So I get to practice the very things I most need to work on in a safe situation with my sponsor. Someone said, what well, you're meant to be, you become in the program first. And I, I know I'm meant to, you know, love and be loved. And it's, this obstacle to that is being directly addressed in my life. Um, God's putting people in my program that I'm scared of. They they sort of trigger a certain fear in me, and God's giving me practice. You know, He's not threatening me. He's there giving me practice in a safe place to deal with these things. And then um, I walked into a room. I keep asking God, like, which meeting should I go to? And then I say to myself, "You're a fool. You're not going to hear from God." Um, it doesn't. It's not that. <laughs> It's not that simple, but I've been praying anyway because I'm worried about it. See, worry. I, I worry, and then that's fuel for prayer. I'm fear, fearful and worrying all the time, and then sometimes I realize with gratitude, oh, God's bringing prayer to my mind as I'm worrying, and that's the fuel is the negative feelings. Um, well, I went to this meeting, and I, I made two connections with people who are in my field who are doing exactly some of the things I'm doing, and so I feel very sort of comforted and accompanied by that. And then the last thing is, my I used to get, get so mad, I still get so mad when there are people in meetings and in my fellowship that are not working the program the way I think they should. They're slipping. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't even know that was funny until I said it. <laughs> so that's my complaint. That's the negative story. Well, the positive story is I keep hearing from people that sometimes the only way to get to help me out of this bottomless pit of negative feelings is to reach out and help somebody else. So now I'm writing down the names of these people who can't stay sober a day, and I'm thanking God that there's somebody who hurts more than I do that I can call and I can help. Yesterday, two days ago, I said, okay, God, I guess I should call and try to help somebody. I mean, I left two messages, and the third person I called, he said, oh, I'm doing okay, and then we talked a minute longer, and he said, actually, I just downloaded pornography onto my computer, and I was about to masturbate and watch it. Um, being useful to God is... A, 
that is the most beautiful thing in my life right now. So thanks, everybody. I'm David. I'm a sexaholic. Thanks for your share, Mike. Um, the most positive message for me that that I need to keep around for me in, in recovery is if I'm upset, it's about me. Um, and I see that uh, it's kind of all over the big book and the white book and the, the 12 and 12. And for me, all of recovery really comes down to that message. Um, I have... Uh, a really blessed life in, in so many ways. I have everything I really need out of life, and yet it's really easy for me to get caught up in being upset over something or other that isn't going right. And, uh, often it's something to do with my wife and the way she's, you know, I, I, the way I react to whatever it is she's saying or doing. And I have to remember that core message that, that whatever it is that's bothering me, it's really my own stuff. It's never what somebody else is doing. And, uh, and that's just, uh, so important. And, when I was just sharing with somebody before the meeting, when I start to peel back the layers, most of my uh, complaints about my wife, they, they start out uh, in my mind as being, you know, she is being X, you know, and whether it's what, whatever adjective I want to ascribe to her that I think she's doing and that she's being. Um, when I peel it back, she really is just expressing her love for me and wanting to be helpful and wanting to connect with me. And uh, I experience that as some something else. Uh, but that's my stuff. And I have to remember um, it's okay. I can disagree with what other people are doing or saying, but as soon as I get wound up and upset about it, that's my stuff, and I've got to look at that and uh, and just do, you know, there's all kinds of tools. We've got the four-step inventory. I can look where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened, and you know, all these things, and and uh, and the tools are there. I just have to remember that core message, so that's, that's what I try and, and hold. If I'm upset, it's my stuff. Thanks. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Al, and by God's grace, a recovering uh, sexaholic. Yeah. Uh, two things. Uh, first off, though, Mike, thank you for the lead. It was really very powerful for me this morning. One of the most courageous sentences I ever heard at a convention occurred a few years ago. And in terms of positive thoughts, what I'm trying to say, I don't say it often, but I say it sometimes. A man said that he says to our higher power, I love you. The reason it's so difficult for me is I'm not convinced I can love. I really am not. And then to say I love you is uh, just a big leap. So, So I need to say that's one way I try to make positive thoughts. And the other thing to say following up I believe in stories, positive stories. I call them anecdotes. And I try to pick out, or by God's grace, comprehend a little positive experience and then share, 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 share. So I'll share one now. Um, Lovely. Last summer, I went into New York City alone, um, (laughs) as I sometimes do. But I only go in with focus. I know what I'm going to do, do it, come home. And for me, um, after it was a matinee, American ballet theater, I went to a ballet. Um, And Cinderella. Um, And I went for lunch at Starbucks first. And Starbucks in New York City is like scrunch. So I have a table and has two free seats. And a woman who, very attractive, with a nine-year-old or so girl, 
came and said, could we sit? I said, sure. So I said to myself, we must have put my eyes down, let them talk, and I am going to be, you know, by myself. And this little girl starts to talk to me. Yak, yak. (laughs) (laughs) And and I yak, yaked back about Cinderella. She's got a book and she's got this little, and I have a daughter who's, she's now 33, but when she was that age, Cinderella. So so we, we had something in common, and we talked for 10 minutes. Meantime, I noticed our gorgeous mother had no wedding ring on. Um, <laughs> but I was praying, and then... <laughs> so, so we parted. Thank you, Lord. That was really pleasant. Went to the ballet. Coming out, crossing Lincoln whatever it is, Lincoln Circle, um, I bump into these two, which I really didn't want to do because of my temptations. So I was pleasant. You know, how was the ballet? Did you enjoy it? Now talking to the mother. And one of the things I had said to the little girl is, you know, well, maybe someday you'll grow up and be a ballerina. So, so, and I just wanted three sentences with, with this mother. Goodbye. And the mother said to me, stop. Do you see what she's doing for you? And I look over, and this little girl is doing a little ballet in the middle of a sunny day in New York for me. Now, obviously, she's kind of like saying, well, maybe I will be a ballerina, and we had a nice little conversation, but she's dancing for me. Now, I have been in New York City many, many times for other reasons, um, <clears throat> which unfortunately got accomplished. But you know what? That's what I wanted a woman to say or do or be for me. I wanted a woman to say, this is for you, and it's really sweet. And the old way, of course, never worked. This little nine-year-old taught me what a female can do uh, in a very warm way. Thank you. My name's Paul, and I'm a sexaholic. And grateful to be here in recovery. And uh, I... uh, there's always a passage in the white book in the uh, getting started, you know, that has always stuck with me. And it's been helpful, too, when dealing with others. Recently, with one of the guys that I make daily sobriety commitments, he's been struggling and he's been finding himself experiencing lots of temptation. And, you know, I don't know if he's if he's anything like you or me, but, you know, suddenly being tempted uh, becomes a time for self-flagellation and, you know, I'm a bad person, I'll never get this and this and that and the other thing. But, you know, in the white book it says, uh, you know, every temptation, whether it be to lust or to resentment or this or that or the other thing, is a gift towards recovery, an opportunity to connect with my higher power. So it's it's not like, you know, I'm not going to go around looking for temptation so that I can be connected to my higher power, but it's the reality is it's my makeup. I'm going to be tempted. You know, there's this part of me that has been well-nurtured at resenting and uh, at judging and condemning. This other part of me that's been well-nurtured towards lusting and finding my satisfaction there. And, uh, but they, I mean, those were there in my core, uh, we, we want, you know, some, 
that meets some need at some point in our life, and then we have to realize that it has become a monster after a while. So it is part of my nature to be tempted, uh, but it's also part of my nature to find the grace to overcome the temptation. So it becomes an opportunity for recovery. It becomes an opportunity to connect with my higher power. Sort of like in the recovery continues where uh, this, the um, the article on the joy response, you know, it's like instead of, uh, oh, you know, and it's like beating yourself up for being tempted, uh, it becomes an opportunity to connect with higher power and say, you know, thank you, you know, because even in my temptations, I find you. Even in my temptations, you're present there. You know, sometimes in my work, you know, people come in and say, you know, and and uh, they'll be saying, you know, oh, uh, you know, I had a uh, I had a near occasion of sin, you know, and and uh, you know, basically they were tempted, and that's all they're confessing is that they were tempted, and I'd say, praise God. And they say, what do you mean? I says, did you act it out? They say, no. I says, well, then it became a near occasion of grace. You know, instead of giving into the temptation, you accepted the grace. And that's been my experience more and more recently. The longer I stay sober and work my program is I don't always interpret these things with my negative, uh, you know, self-condemnation voice that I grew up with, uh, inheriting it from my family that also had the same self-condemnation voices that they inherited from their family. You know, my parents gave me what they got, you know, uh, and that's another positive thing. They gave me what they got. Uh, they're not bad people. They were not bad people. They're not yet bad people. Right, Dad? You know, I can talk to him now. He can hear me anywhere, you know. Um, but uh, uh, they weren't bad people. They gave me what they got. So I got the self save, same self-condemnation voice. You know, my dad used to call himself all sorts of names. He called me the same names, and I called myself those names in my disease. But in my recovery, I can all of a sudden say, no, you're not a jerk. Or, no, you're not an idiot. You just did something stupid, but guess what? You're still a beloved child of God. Move on. So I just love, you know, where a new attitude. I'm tempted. Oh, I'm a bad person. No, I'm tempted. I'm human. I need God's grace. God is there for me. Thank you. My name is Ted, and I'm a sexaholic. Uh, Anders, please don't judge me too harshly for not doing my program the right way. I think. <laughs> I'm real. I, cross my name off the list. I promise I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think um, <laughs> this is really a, a powerful subject for me. Um, one of the great sentences in the White Book that was a, a real um, awareness moment for me is that I have, for my whole life, had the tendency of making the unnatural natural and the natural unnatural. And uh, what that means to me in this context is that I continually lie to myself about what's going on, putting myself in the worst possible position that a story could play out to be. Uh, if somebody doesn't return a call to me, I immediately play that whole thing out in my head about how that person hates me. I effed up the whole situation. I did this. I did. The guy just didn't call me back. I mean, chill out, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 you know, for for so many years, I've learned to make the unnatural natural by telling myself all of these stories. 
And with the help of people in the fellowship and outside the fellowship, I'm learning to stop and acknowledge that as a lie. That story is a lie. It is not the truth. And that's a very hard thing for me to tell myself because as for many of the people here that I've heard share, I've been, ta- I've been doing this so long. I taught this to myself. I blame nobody, whether it be my dad, my mom. That's another issue for another day. But I do it to myself, and I have to stop doing it to myself. And I have to learn to say, what is the truth about this story? What could be an alternative uh, uh, explanation that has nothing to do with me being bad? It has to do with life, and that's the way things happen. And I have to tell myself that story. Um, one of the earlier people shared about losing a wife, losing a business, losing... I've done all that already. I've lost my business. I've lost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've I've lost my wife. I've lost my reputation. I've lost everything. And my life has never been better than it is today. Okay? Uh, How does that work? I don't know how it works. (laughs) I I always use a very simple analogy. It's like microwave and popcorn. I don't know how it works. (laughs) But I push the button... And it comes out hot, and it smells good, and it tastes good. That's what I do. So, you know, and that's a big... So that's that's a big change for me, because I used to run the world, and now I'm just pressing the button on the microwave, and it works. Okay, that's cool. So, I, you know, th- there really is... Uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in the big room inside reading the 12 promises the, the last, uh, you know, uh, uh, few hours, the last 24, 48 hours, whatever it is. And... um I'm really humbled by the 12 promises because I, I, I really wish that I could show you people a picture of me a very short time ago and then a picture of me today and you could look at it and put it up on that wall and start checking off the 12, you know. I started off on page one of that book with his 20 questions. I think I got 100. I may have gotten a 95, I'm not sure, but... <laughs> You know, other than my driving test, that's probably one of the better tests I've taken. Uh, I really got a good score on it, you know, but I think I'm doing better on the 12 promises than I did on that. And that's a very, very humbling experience for me. Um, I don't know where this program's going to take me. I can only use the last three and a half or four years to say, wait a minute, if I've done all this in that period of time, what can happen in the future? And, and, and like I said, it's really a humbling, humbling experience. And I thank everybody in this room, all the people that came before that have set this thing up for me and my higher power. And it's just, that's a, a positive story that if I'm cognizant enough to tell it to myself every day, I'll be okay. Thanks for letting me share. Hey, everybody. My name is Tom, and I'm a gratefully recovering sexaholic. Hi, Tom. Um, The most positive person that I know um, consistently and uh, steadily reframing things um, in the best possible light, getting off of the topic of what's wrong and and complaints is my brother. And... um, my brother is also an extremely organized and um, uh, planningful kind of person who uh, structures his life 
uh, highly. And that's what I uh, noticed about your talk, Mike, is that uh, you described a routine and a kind of structure to your day and to your week and to your month that, um, you know, I made that connection and I thought, well, maybe there's a key there between happiness and uh, an organization. And since I'm the kind of person who, you know, loses his car keys in the car and, <laughs> and uh, you know, if my head wasn't attached, I'm sure I'd lose that too. Um, I, I, what the message I got out of this today is that I'm totally doomed to unhappiness for the rest of my life. Uh, clearly, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, what I what I notice is that I mean, when I when my life was most unmanageable, it was off the charts in terms of being disorganized, forgetful, and uh, chaotic not only for myself but other people around me and you know that eventually got me into a rehab where they say you know this is the time you're going to wake up in the morning and this is what you're going to have for breakfast <laughs> and um and that that was um that was almost a year and a half ago and I and I've just passed 18 months continuous essay sobriety for which I am For which I am extremely grateful. And um, actually, the the message I'm taking from this group this morning is that, you know, maybe there are people who, for whom structure and organization is their security and their that's their comfort zone, and they they work with that naturally. And you know, maybe God's going to move them in a slightly different direction. But for me, you know, if I'm willing. It will be a kind of daily effort for me to bring that kind of organization and structure, and it's never gonna like be quite my thing or quite you know what I do naturally. But it's possible, and you know I can start with it just in terms of planning the rest of my day today, and then take some time today to plan the rest of my week. And um, I'm willing to give that a try and and see if that increases my happiness. Quotient. So, thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Uh, good morning. I'm, my name is Michael. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. It's uh, just great to be here. And first of all, I thought I was the only one who lost my keys in my car. So, I, I, it's good to know that I'm not alone. Um, just all the shares have been really uh, wonderful. Um, being able to, to Think about you know all the the positive messages that are here. Uh, I'm going to be able to take take back with me. Um, it's so encouraging. Um, the tools that uh, we all have been given, but I've been be able to take away. It's just it's just great. One one of the things that uh, struck me last night um, in Mark's message was about you know God is for the sexaholic, and of course it's also in the White Book. And uh, you know just this morning I was around the table and and. Um, I've been wanting to get up a little bit earlier and, um, you know, make a, a regular connection with folks early in the morning. And, and this guy said, I didn't say anything. He says, you know, what's your number? I want to give you a call, like, you know, early in the morning. <laughs> and and then another guy, I was, I'm, I'm going on a trip later on with my church, um, a missions trip, and, and I hadn't even thought about, 
you know, lust and recovery on the trip. And this guy had already been on lots of these type of trips and talked about what his tools were. And I got his number. Um, and then someone else who, who was from Texas that where I'm originally from, I live in Jersey now. Um, you know, I'm going to be traveling back there this year and I was able to get his number, you know, he lives in a town fairly close to where I'm going to be going. And I just realized, and also I was thinking like, what am I going to put down for my recovery note? And that, and, and it struck me how much God is for me. Um, and, and just this, just this morning, just an hour ago, how all those little things, all those pieces fit together. It just blows me away. And that's what I'm going to put on my recovery note. Just that, you know, a little snippet of, of one or all those instances, um, of, of how God's clearly showing me his path towards, towards recovery, uh, for me and doing the things to put those things in place. And I'm just very grateful to be here. Thanks. Hi, I'm Tim. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. And, um, I just really, it's a pleasure to be here this morning, um, especially in this group. And uh, I really appreciate, Mike, your sharing about um, the happiness and the wonderful things you've encountered in your sobriety. And um, I've definitely encountered amazing happiness that I never dreamed of. And um, and my circumstances don't look that great. I, I've lost my wife. I lost my job. I'm living with my parents. And um, but I'm really happy right now. I'm very, I've, I'm experiencing this freedom. Um, I'm doing my art and I'm, uh, doing a lot of things that, and, and I'm making connections with people and, and just like, it's, it's really profound for me. And, and I'm really discovering a brand new relationship with God that just, uh, is, is totally amazing for me. And I, um, I really appreciate the share about, um, Someone said before about how you know, he doesn't have to say I'm a jerk anymore, or um, and I was thinking about how like I'm a great person for giving other people positive th- ways to look at things and to put a positive spin on it, and saying oh you know you know things aren't that bad, and, and I, I'm a great person for cheering people up, and people always compliment me for it. But um, it wasn't until I got to recovery really that I started noticing how do I talk to myself? I'm always calling myself a jerk and an ass and a you know and Worse things. I mean, and, and just, um, and, and if somebody asked me, uh, you know, do you, what's your opinion about, what's my opinion about myself? I say, oh, I'm, I'm fine with myself. It's like, what? <laughs> That's how I treat myself. And, and, uh, um, and it just reminds me of the phrase, you know, if I have a problem with myself, I have a problem with God. Um, you know, that, that, um, God created me to do his work. There's, there's, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to fix anything. You know, just push the button on the microwave and, and it'll happen. Um, so I'm just so grateful that I can realize that I, you know, yeah, I'm in the program. I'm really committed to working the steps, but I don't have to wait to get to a certain point before I can start doing God's work. And that is such a joy. That is such a freedom. And, um, and it's such a joy to hear other people's success stories too. I, I, um, I can really appreciate, you know, people having wonderful marriages and wonderful families, you know, and even though I don't right now, but I, I just really, I feel the connection. I appreciate the joy and I can really feel like, well, gee, how come I don't have that? Or, or if God really loved me, I would have this, this, and this. It's just like that's vanished for me. And, um, so I really appreciate hearing everyone's stories, whether, you know, good things are happening or bad things are happening, you know, quote unquote, or, um, whatever. It's just like the connections that happen. And, um, my connection with God is just like, 
incredible joy. So thanks. Uh, Mike, I'm still a sexaholic, and uh, you haven't healed me yet. Sorry. <laughs> thanks for trying. Uh, thank you, everyone who shared and everyone who's here. Uh, I just want to tell you something. My wife and I don't always get along, okay? It's not perfect. We do have arguments. But one of the two tools that we've used since in recovery is we use for the first four or five years, and we still use it every once in a while. Our therapists give us, whenever I didn't agree with my wife or she triggered me on being angry, resentful, etc., the word ouch. If my wife said ouch, that means I need to stop talking. If I said ouch, she had to stop talking. And we had to come together and agree to not talk about it anymore until the next day. The second thing which we do now, and we uh, it's been very good, is whenever she gets prickly, that's her word, and I use it to whenever I get prickly, one of us will start the serenity prayer. And if I don't, if she starts the serenity prayer and I don't join her, that means I'm really mad. <laughs> so what does she do? She finishes the serenity prayer and then starts it over again. <laughs> and if I don't start it the second time, <laughs> look out. <laughs> but I haven't gone there yet, okay? I've, we've, we've never had to go past the first one. I cannot tell you what the serenity prayer means to me in our coupleship. And that's the word we use for our relationship now, our coupleship. Those of you that have lost your wives and families, I have not had that experience. I've, I've been accused by family members of certain things. But I've worked with sponsees that have lost everything. And when I met Ted several years ago, he really was an angry man. Really. I've seen a, a change in his life where God has taken over. And he's let God take over. And I love kettle corn, Ted. And uh, the last thing, my wife can look at me now and say she loves me from her heart. I can look at her and tell her I love her from my eyes. Uh... One last thing, I don't have to defend my positions with her anymore. We don't go in the past. Whenever we're talking, I don't have to defend everything as though I'm right, even though if I am right, we discuss it. One of the greatest tools of this program that my wife and I, what I use with sponsees is thank you for sharing, how can I help you? Because in that says that you're interested in them, you're listening to them. This program works. I'm eternally grateful for it. And I'm grateful that we have this venue. And I'll take it back to you. Again, my thanks again to Mike for his shares and everyone who came forward and shared their stories. Um, in, in summary, and, and I think I think Paul and I must have been on the same wavelength today because before I came here, I grabbed this uh, from the Gloucester room and brought it in because I was going to read something a little bit 
from the joy response, if someone will just bear with me for a second. It occurred to me that I might try gratitude whenever I was tempted. The next temptation I had happened to be resentment anger. As I became aware of it, I thanked God for the situation and for victory over my resentment. Doing that felt strange, but I thanked him for both trial and victory while feeling resentful. I was immediately loosed from it, and the feeling that followed was better than what used to accompany the previous deliverances. As victorious as the fierce surrender experiences had been, this was better. The feeling was positive and buoyant. Instead of mere relief, and there was something new, joy. Just remember that this is an anonymous program, and anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. It reminds us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside. Please keep names and addresses and phone numbers you learn about an essay to yourself. And what we say here, let it stay here. Here, here. Okay, let's take that after a moment of silence. Uh, let's close with the uh, third step prayer. If you could form a circle. to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.